This is what Jesus begins to do in order to begin to change their definition of Messiah. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, it's a phrase out of Daniel 7, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. And that's when we see Peter do his freak out, which some of us, if we've read the Bible a while, we're kind of familiar with this story because it's weird. Peter kind of goes, whoa, 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 Jesus, hold up. What are you talking about? The Messiah? What? Are, are we on the same page here? What do you mean suffer? You know, what do you, what do you mean must be killed? And Peter actually tries to shut Jesus up, tries to silence him. Why? Because in Peter's mind, and in the Jewish cultural understanding, as Sherry pointed out, Messiah means victor not loser. That's what it means by definition to them. Messiah means that God has put His King back on the throne, that the the day of God's reckoning has finally come. And to Peter and to the Jews following Jesus, Messiah means that finally, after hundreds and hundreds of years, finally God is going to make things right. Finally Rome will be overthrown. Finally the godless will be punished and the righteous people of God will be vindicated for their faithfulness. Finally! Jesus is clearly making a mistake. What's all this suffering and death talk, Peter's thinking? Come off it, Jesus. Everyone knows that a Messiah who fails is a failed Messiah. Everyone knows that. There's a lineup of people that have come before Jesus and, frankly, come after Him who were just like that. Claimed to be the Messiah. Claimed that God had given them directive. Claimed that God had come back to make things right, but they just killed the sucker and He never came back and nothing ever happened and everything just kind of fizzled and died. Because everyone knows a Messiah who fails is a failed Messiah. And here's Jesus beginning to talk about how he's going to be suffering, be rejected, be killed. Here's how Mark tells it. He goes on in verse 32. Jesus spoke plainly about this, about his suffering and his death. It wasn't no, no parable talk here. It's pretty obvious what he's saying. So Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Imagine. Wow. But Jesus turned around. When he turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. Ouch. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. You get what's going on here? Peter is so incensed, so blown away, so uh, upset and offended by Jesus' suggestion that the Messiah means suffering, that he actually tries to shut Jesus down. This is right after declaring you're the Messiah, you understand. What Jesus is saying is so outside his expectations, so radically different than anything he thought or anyone thought the Messiah should be, that he opposes Jesus. Peter rebukes Jesus the way that Jesus has been rebuking demons. This is powerful. This is crazy. Peter tries to shut Jesus up, but Jesus shuts him down. Jesus sees in this a work of the enemy, a lie from the devil himself, an attempt of Satan to, to undercut him, to, to, to suggest that there be a way of being the Messiah that didn't involve suffering and death. To suggest that there be a way of dealing with our sin, dealing with death, putting, putting things to rights that, that wouldn't involve this difficult path that's ahead of him. It's a tempting lie. And Jesus calls it out and rejects it. Peter thinks that being the Messiah means killing your enemies. But Jesus knows that being the Messiah means dying for your enemies. Maybe, and in his case, most certainly, at their own hands. 
Peter thinks that being the Messiah is about pouring out God's judgment on sinners. But Jesus knows that being Messiah is about taking God's judgment for sinners. You see the difference there? Peter thinks that being Messiah means from moving, moving from one victory to the next. But Jesus knows that being Messiah means moving from rejection to abuse, to failure, to death. Peter thinks being Messiah means leaving that suffering and death stuff behind us. Jesus knows that being Messiah means to walk a road of suffering and death and that is only through that road that resurrection can come. Not only for Him, but for us. So do you see why Peter tries to shut Jesus down? And do you see why Jesus responds the way He does? Peter, you're not getting who I am. You need to let me show you what Messiah means. You need to let me show you that with my life. Yes, with my teaching. But with my suffering. With my death. With my resurrection. You think that a Messiah who fails is a failed Messiah, but I'm going to show you that it's only through that perceived failure, it's only through that suffering and death and rejection that true victory will be won. It's only through death that death will die. And then it's like Jesus is standing on this mountain summit, if you can grab that image again. It's like He gathers everyone around Him, and as He does, He tells everyone to look down the path. Look down the direction they're now going to head. Look down toward the end of the story. It's like He says, look down my arm and tell me what you see. You see what's at the end of that journey down there? It's a cross. I'm going there to die. And here's the clincher Jesus says, if you want to follow me, not some fictitious idea about who I am, if you want to follow the Messiah, the true Messiah, then that's the path that we're going down. That's the road you have to follow me on. There's no other way. There's no alternate route down. Messiah means suffering and death and then resurrection. And being a Messiah follower, it means exactly the same thing. And so Jesus throws down this discipleship gauntlet. Some of the most challenging words in all of Scripture. Some of the most challenging words, certainly, in the Gospel of Mark. He calls the crowd to Him. The people who are around, along with His disciples, and said, listen to these words, whoever wants to be My disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for you to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? What good is it? And what can you give in exchange for your soul? If any of you are ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of you when He comes in His Father's glory with the holy angels. And He said to them, Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God has come with power. See what's at stake here? If we get Jesus wrong, we get discipleship wrong. If we don't understand who this Messiah is, our whole idea of what it means to follow Him can be completely skewed. 
We can buy into some idea of Christianity, some idea of Jesus, and end up following a fake one, a plastic one, something you can just buy at the store. Not the real Jesus at all. If we don't know who Jesus is, we will not be able to follow Him where He's leading us. What's at stake here is not just a difference of opinion about Jesus. What's at stake here is a whole way of life. What's up for grabs is a life of short-term loss for real eternal gain. Or, in contrast, a life of short-term gain where everything's awesome, but run the risk of losing everything that actually matters. There's nothing that matters more than this. There's nothing that matters more than understanding who Jesus is and what it means for us to follow Him. Why does Jesus stomp so hard on the cultural assumptions that Jesus is victor? That that following the Messiah means victory after victory? Because anyone who followed Him with that in mind aren't going to last very long. Anyone who follows Him thinking, well, this is going to be awesome. We're in the victor train. Everything's going to go great. It's going to be a little disillusion when things start getting hard. It's going to be a little disillusion when Jesus is hauled off in front of the authorities and killed. If you don't know who Jesus is, you can't really know what it means to follow Him. Unless our following, I think this is where it really comes down, when we think of our witness, unless our following of Jesus actually matches the real Jesus, then our witness itself is false. People can look at our lives and go, well, isn't that wonderful, being a Jesus follower? It's just, well, they're just really nice people. Isn't that awesome? Jesus is also a great guy. But not necessarily the real Jesus. Not necessarily the Jesus who calls us into a life of sacrifice. How does this impact us today? Well, here's where I think it gets really tough for us. I hope you're awake. Because I think if anything is going to come out of this passage for us of relevance today, it's this. What cultural assumptions are you carrying about who Jesus is and what it means to follow Him, that Jesus, frankly, needs to just stomp all over. What assumptions are you carrying about being a Christian? Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time. Maybe you're just new on this Jesus journey. Maybe you're just checking things out. But what cultural assumptions about this person named Jesus are you carrying that Jesus needs to expose and get rid of for you to actually meet the real Jesus so that you're following a real Messiah, not a fake one? If you think Jesus has come to make life easy, I think it's pretty obvious from this passage that you need to think again. If you think Jesus has called you into a life that's sort of rainbows and daisies, you're not going to make it around the next bend. You might think you're following Jesus, but you probably aren't. How often have we bought into the cultural idea that following Jesus is something you just add to your life? It's like a little, you know, I have... You know, I have um, Sports on this night and have Jesus on the other night. It's something I just kind of add to my schedule. And frankly, if I get a little too busy with a few things, Jesus, he'll understand. There's grace. I'll just chip him off and do something else. And I'll come back to him later. How, how many of you have gone into the idea that Jesus is something that, you know, if we just can kind of pay homage to him, he'll make our life a little bit better, but he won't really make any serious demands on us. If we think Jesus has come to make our lives easy or the following Jesus thing is something that you know, calls us to mild sacrifice, the moment Jesus actually asks us to give something up, the moment He actually asks you to sacrifice your life, your job, your expectations, the moment He actually asks you to love that neighbor, you're going to go, well, surely that's not Jesus because He'd never ask me to do something. Jesus would never ask me to give that up. He would never ask me to do something that painful. Would He? Right? It must not be Jesus talking. 
Right? Because you've got some idea in your mind that, that Jesus would never demand me to pick up a cross and follow him. Because he wants my life to be great. Doesn't he? If we think Jesus came, maybe flipping it a little bit, that, that Jesus came to punish sinners and to exalt saints, we're going to be offended by this Jesus who continually calls us into relationship with people who are sinners. People who are broken. People who are just like we are. We'll end up circling the wagons. We'll end up thinking we've got to just somehow create a safe little huddle. Maybe here at church, and Jesus, he's off leading his people down dangerous paths to reach people. And we'll find we're sitting around in a circle and Jesus left a long time ago. If we think Jesus just came to save me so I can go to heaven when I die, we won't be able to comprehend the call of Jesus that actually calls us to live the kingdom of God in the here and now. To live what matters in the present. In the power of the Holy Spirit. I could go on. But whatever it is, whatever we've allowed in our culture, whatever we've allowed in our background, whatever we've allowed in our tradition, or our denomination, <coughs> excuse me, to define who Jesus is. That's something other than who the real Jesus is. We need to let the real Jesus come in and clean house. Let him come in and smash a few things down, expose what's there. And actually call us into a life of following Him. That, in His own words, can be pretty rough. Pretty sacrificial. So here we stand. I don't, there's no way to sugarcoat this passage. Here we stand on this sort of summit, and we look down the path that Jesus is taking. We're going to have our versions of Jesus radically challenged by this true Messiah who calls us to follow Him day in and day out sacrificially laying our lives down, doing what matters, giving up the things that don't. And the question we have to ask is, are we willing to travel that road? Are we willing to follow that Messiah? Are we willing to let the true Jesus reveal himself to us to point out areas in our lives, areas in our church, areas in our, in our ways of just doing life that have become less then Messiah-oriented have become a little too comfortable. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to do. And I think it's very sobering. I think it's very challenging. Here we are at the middle of the book. And Jesus says, if you're really serious about this, then I've got to tell you a few things. It's been pretty easy from that. You know, it's been pretty easy up to this point. But if you want to stick with me, it's going to get rough. Oh, there's resurrection at the end. Don't forget that. But the path to get there is very painful. And I think there's so many ways that we as Christians have said, yeah, I know Jesus did the pain suffering thing, but somehow it's not really going to cost us anything to follow him. But it will. If we're going to follow the real Jesus. Well, how do we do this practically? I want to get really practical. I think we need to ask, how do we put this on the ground And at the risk of flogging something that's a program, I'm going to say it again, that one of the ways that we can actually do this passage is this fall with the Alpha Course. I know, you're already sick of me saying anything about the Alpha Course. I know that. But if we're committed to actually following Jesus, to helping other people follow a real Jesus then we've got to be willing to create an environment. And it can be in your home. It can be in your workplace, depending on your workplace. It can be wherever you want it to be. But one of the ways we're going to do it this fall is by hosting this Alpha Course to help people find 
the real Jesus. And to, to invite people into community, around a meal, around a table, people have a lot of different ideas about who Jesus is and give them an opportunity to actually talk about who Jesus really is. And through the Holy Spirit and the work He'll do among us and through the teaching and just the opportunities to interact, for people to move toward a clearer picture of who Jesus is. That is one very, very practical way that we can act on this call in this passage to follow Jesus. The second one is that we need to follow Jesus together. You know, I've got to just tell you that in the month of August, we met a number of times, four different times we had this covenant community coffee. And every time, there was one dominant thing that came out every time. And that is this. If we don't gather in smaller groups of people to pray, study scripture, challenge each other, if we don't do that, we can't follow Jesus. And so that was very clear in those four copies we had. It's been very clear in a number of other gatherings we had. And, you know, I'm just going to lay it right out. As the Erickson Covenant Church, if we are going to follow Jesus, we've got to break our idea that this is all that counts. It doesn't. It matters. And I'm super pumped about Sunday morning. I'm very committed to this. I think, frankly, some of you should be even more committed to it. Ouch, was that painful? That's okay. We're into pain today. But, but I think that we need to be committed to gathering as a large group and committed to gathering as smaller groups of people where we say, okay, we just read this passage, for example. What does that mean in your life? How are you going to do this thing? How can we pray for one another? How can we reach out together? How can we get alongside each other and find out what are those cultural assumptions we're carrying that Jesus was trying to root out? And so we're you know, not yet unleashing some big strategy around this, but I've got to tell you that as a church, we need to be moving from an idea that church is where we gather Sunday morning to church is who we are. And yes, we gather Sunday morning, I hope pretty regularly, but we also gather in smaller groups to follow Jesus together. It's crucial. If we don't do that, we're not really going to grow. We're not really going to reach people. It really needs to happen in us as a community. So, for this fall, yeah, I want you at Alpha. But if you can't get to Alpha this year, I want to challenge every other one of you who aren't coming to Alpha or aren't participating in Alpha to be committed to finding a small group this year. And we're going to provide some opportunities for you to do that. But you do not need to wait around to summon to provide that. You can help form a small group. Come and talk to me if you need help. I'll certainly provide support for you and others will. But there are people here who want to meet in smaller groups, maybe twice a month, maybe every week. I, I don't really care how it happens. I just know it needs to happen. We need to break the idea that we just attend church and that's what it means to follow Jesus or be a Christian. It's not true. It doesn't work that way. So I want to challenge you that as we follow Jesus together, we need to move both in a larger context like Sunday morning. I believe it's crucial to worship together, to receive teaching, to join together, but also in smaller groups where we travel together face to face. And then the third one, just getting practical. And this may be for those of you who are here today who are still new to the Jesus thing, who are still trying to figure stuff out. This story of Mark, this gospel Mark that we're going to be journeying through uh, here is one of the most beautiful stories about who Jesus is. And I want to invite you to take this story, maybe you just jumped in today and you realize you're halfway through, or we are halfway through, to begin to take this gospel and let Jesus reveal himself to you. 
Let Jesus cut through those cultural assumptions that you may carry. Let Jesus work in your heart and mind so that you begin to see Jesus for who he really is and hear his invitation to follow him. Those are three practical ways that we can respond to this passage today. Now, as we close today, I do want to ask, not, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot here, but I do want to ask how many of us hearing this passage want to say yes to that? I want to say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. I want to follow the real Jesus. I may not even fully understand what that means, like these disciples. We don't really get fully how Jesus is going to challenge or overturn cultural assumptions or what he's going to stomp on or even, frankly, how painful this is going to be. I don't really even understand that, but I do know I want to follow Jesus. Not some plastic version I can buy in a dollar store. I want to buy a Jesus who's... I want to buy a Jesus. Follow Jesus who's real. So I want to invite you, this is a familiar song to some of you, but less familiar for others, and I even added a verse that no one's ever heard before. So I want to invite you to stand and to sing this song, it's very easy to follow, as a way of commitment. Now, I'm not, don't sing it if you don't mean it, but if this expresses your desire, I want to invite you to sing along to this old song. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Let me pray before we go to the next one. Lord Jesus, I know this morning you've spoken through your word to us. And Jesus, I ask this morning that wherever we're at, whatever challenge we need to be given from you, whatever way that you need to reveal yourself to us, that we would have our hearts and our minds open today to respond to you. Jesus, these are challenging words that you gave to us telling us that to follow you involves a road of suffering. That following you can involve painful decisions. That following you um, can lead us down dark and troublesome paths. And there's no way to sugarcoat that. So Jesus, I just pray as we continue to sing today that you would, you would reveal yourself to our hearts and our minds. That you would enable us to walk with you in this path you're calling us to. Will you stand and let's continue to sing. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. When there is suffering, still I will follow. When there is suffering, still I will follow. When there is suffering, Still I will follow, no turning back.
turning back where Jesus leads us we all will follow where Jesus leads us we all will follow where Jesus leads us we all will follow no turning back no turning back Lord you know our hearts You know where we're at. You know those of us who are ready to say that today, to sing that with fervor, with devotion, with excitement, with a real sense of commitment. You know those of us who are here today who are struggling with that, feeling ambiguous about it. Jesus, I pray that you'd meet them where they're at. And you you know those of us who are here who really are not ready to say that. That maybe we stood, maybe we sang the words, but really that does not yet represent where we are. Jesus, I pray for all of us that we would have a clear vision of You. And that that vision of You would be so compelling, so rich, so real, that all the stuff we leave behind, that all the stuff we lay aside, that the whole world that's been gathered up, we toss aside because it's simply not worth losing out on You. Simply not worth not being part of your family, your kingdom, your mission. Jesus, I pray that as individuals and as families, and I pray as the Erickson Covenant Church, Jesus, that we would follow you on the path you're leading us on. And when there is suffering, and when things are difficult, and when we have to make hard decisions, we would make it in the light of you, Jesus, and who you are. And we would follow you where you're leading us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.